It's time for Larry No Sports, featuring John Big Ten Blue and the Mouth of the South, Micah Sherman. Tonight's special guest. He writes for the SB Nation Hornets blog at thehive.com. Chase Whitney! And I'm your host, Larry. for joining me everybody on this Friday, November 13th, the last Friday before free agency and the draft and the trade moratorium lifts and we get back to a frenzy of basketball news. Uh, Chase, thanks again for joining. We're going to focus a little bit on your Charlotte Hornets today and Go right into uh, the draft discussion. So from just like reading the rumor mill and things you hear, it seems like a name that the Hornets are linked to is James Wiseman, right? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having me on. But I would definitely say that he uh, has been the most strongly linked prospect to the Hornets so far. Yeah. So starting with that, like, first of all, would you agree that it makes sense for the Hornets to target a big man or is, is that their biggest position of need? Uh, I, it definitely is like on paper, their biggest position of need. And I think that in either the draft or free agency, they're definitely going to target that position. Like maybe more so than they would other positions like guard or on the wing or something like that. But I don't know that it's necessarily a need to draft it a center at number three. I think that's a pick where you, can just because the Hornets aren't in a position and Mitch Kupchak actually had media availability like not even a half hour ago where he talked a lot about the team isn't good enough to pick for need at number three or really at any mm-hmm. position in the draft yet because they're so early on in the rebuild that they just need to add talent across the board because you, in the NBA you need depth to win and they don't have really any depth especially in young talent across the board so I, I think that they're just going to draft the best player available. And if he thinks that is a big man, then that like, that's a different story, but I don't think that that is going to be a focus for him necessarily. Yeah. Well, that's got, I mean, that's got to be refreshing for you as a fan. Cause not that they're nowhere near a place where they could draft for need, but the fact that they're not going to think they're closer than they are and that they're going to draft James Wiseman when they shouldn't. And they, there was even talk about them possibly trading to the, the number one pick. Yeah, I mean, like it is. It is really refreshing to have have like definitely a much stronger sense of direction within the organization, and like seems that top top to bottom, especially between Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego, the head coach and GM, they have like a pretty strong connection and kind of agree on the path forward to making this team be successful in the Eastern Conference. Not only just making the playoffs, but advancing in the playoffs. But I definitely think that 
they like they have a much stronger sense of direction as a team now and it it definitely helps them going forward yeah so how would you uh how would you rank like the top three prospects in the draft or who would you put like or who are you hoping to get at third and i guess yeah who's your top three uh, my top three, I would say LaMelo Ball is the best player in the draft to me. I would take him number one. If I mean, if I were Minnesota or if I were any team, I would just take him number one. And the second is Anthony Edwards to me. And then third, I, I like Killian Hayes a lot. I'm not, I, I, line up, I know the consensus top three is Ball, Edwards, and Hayes in whatever order that each person prefers. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of Killian Hayes and his like ball handling, like IQ combo. He's a really good defensive playmaker, even though he's not really a great athlete. Like, and I think that's like a good trait to have for a player that's so young and has played professional basketball. Like, he he seems to be able to think his way through the game despite being not not like explosive for his age. And I th- like even though that could be a problem in the NBA, I think that at least will help him right away while he potentially develops as a athlete more so. Who do you think is going to be the biggest surprise this year? Like, who do you have your eye on to be like, man, that guy's going to come out of the gate? I think my most underrated player in the draft is Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. Uh, I think he is like a great isolation scorer for like the role that he's going to have in the NBA, which I assume is just going to be kind of like a off the bench, get your shots up, get buckets, and then kind of just pat be passable on defense. I th- and off, I think right away he's going to be a much better shooter than he was in college too. I think his t- overall three point percentage at Syracuse over two years was like thirty four percent or something like that. But I think a lot of that being, or the, a lot of the reason that it was kind of low was that he was taking extremely difficult shots a lot, like just fade, a lot of fadeaways over someone right in his face and stuff like that, because he was really their only go to scorer. Because Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard are much more like spot up shooters than just get a bucket on anybody, especially in the ACC. And Elijah Hughes proved on a very consistent basis that he can get by as a defender, either get to the rim and finish at a reasonable rate or pull up. And he has a really nice mid-range jumper. He can do like nice spin jumpers and fadeaways too out of the post. I I think he's going to be really good for the team that picks him because he'll probably get picked to a good team in like the 20 through maybe 35 range. So I think that's going to help him a lot rather than getting picked higher and having a team be like, Hey, go do a lot of offense and create a lot of things for us. Wow. And Syracuse guy being good in the pros would be, that would be a shot. Yeah. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who besides mellow, who's been no one, no one. I mean, Derek Coleman, can he burn out? Yeah. Cause he was too good. But like they Jeremy have- Grant's pretty good now. Okay. Like, he's yeah, not Jeremy even Grant. really Jeremy that great. Awesome. He was a bust kind of early on, but yeah, you're right. I, yeah. I don't think Jeremy Grant now. I really like him. Yeah. And Buddy Bayheim, oh, so- huh? I guess the coach's son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so you know he can ball. He's been around basketball his whole life. Yeah. Um, so uh, losing Kemba was like a huge, that was a huge loss uh, a couple of years ago. Yes. What is, in, in your, from where you sit, what player in this draft or trading for what player will be the best move to get Charlotte into the playoffs this year? Well, I don't know if any player in the draft specifically is going to get them in the playoffs. Cause I know that they finished in 10th, but 
It might sound like I, I think that they played a kind of above their heads a little bit last year. They won a lot of close games off of like some ridiculously clutch shots from either Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham. Malik Monk had a buzzer beater once too. I mean, they they, they won a lot of games in Malik those Monk, late games. What are you doing? Too. Hitting a buzzer beater, buddy. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. Was that the yeah, one? Yeah, was exactly. that the one where Kept Jordan, where Jordan like gave him a friendly slap on the back of the head afterwards? I don't. I think that clip might be from last year because I think he actually the buzzer beater was against the Knicks I believe in Madison Square Garden I think or no that was Devontae Graham I think but either way I think the the Malik Monk buzzer beater he just kind of they like carried him off the floor because that was easily (laughs) like the biggest play that he made in his career like I mean not because he still has a lot of potential and he'll probably make much bigger plays than that in his career but up to then, like that, that was a pretty big moment for him it was nice to see but I do think I don't know if they'll trade up necessarily uh, I I don't think that they have the combination of like assets and like willingness to part with them necessarily. Like they could like they could be like, oh, here's Miles Bridges and the third pick for number one. But like, do you really want to give up Miles Bridges and the third or and who you could get at three, which is probably one of Edwards Ball or Wiseman or definitely one of those three. But and then, and then Miles Bridges just to get one of those three. I'm not sure that they are willing to do that because I mean, as Mitch Kupchak has said many times, they need depth across the board, and I don't think that giving up a young piece is necessarily the best thing to do, especially in a draft that most people don't even think the three guys at the top are like a lock to be an All Star at any point in their career. Yeah. So Charlotte's Charlotte's going to have to go through years of building in order to be anything close to whatever they. When was the last time they made it into the second round? Jeez, right? Uh, definitely, like it was the first iteration of the right, Hornets. Yeah. Like, like it, they it, since they and Kendall yeah. Hill and stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Like it was like since they've came back and were the Bobcats and they changed the Hornets. They've made the playoffs twice. They lost. They got swept once and then lost in uh, seven games to the Heat another time. But yeah, I mean that. I don't think I think that they're necessarily that far away, but. If they are, I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs next year either. Like if, if they get a high pick in the 2021 draft, which is a much deeper draft, like even if they like they were slated to pick eighth this year, so picking three, it was a huge jump for them and could potentially help them a lot because if they get like uh, Ball, Edwards, or Wiseman and they pan out being really well or really good, the 2021 draft is like you're almost a lock to get a guy that's gonna be really good in the top eight picks. So. After that, and, and having a clean cap sheet for two summers in a row, then they could definitely roll into, would it be 2021, 2022, I think, would it, what the season would be. They, they could definitely be like a top six team in the East that year, I think. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm guessing they thought they could be competitive even this past year with, they were probably hoping for more out of Terry Rozier. Um, actually, what are, what are you thinking about like Terry Rozier going forward? Do you think he's kind of a lost cause or... You think there's something still there? I mean, I might be a little biased because, like, I think, like, off the court, Terry Rozier is, like, one of my favorite players in the NBA. I think he's, like, easily probably the coolest player in the league at this current moment. But, I mean, his contract is not necessarily a tradable asset, I guess is how how you would word it. But I don't think it's, uh, like, a stark negative necessarily either because he was, I think, the third best catch-and-shoot three-point shooter in the league last year behind uh, J.J. Redick and C.J. McCollum in terms of percent. I think it was like 41.4%. So, 
So there is like some value of him as an off ball shooter, but he definitely can, you don't want him being like your lead point guard necessarily. Yeah. Actually his contract's not as bad as I thought. Cause it's only two more years and it's declining yeah. a little bit. I mean, it's still high, but he's just, he's overpaid, but he's not like so much money that he's Westbrook and Paul territory. Right. Like right. He's, just, he's just a bad deal. But he's um, but he's still a good player. He's just he just happened to make too much money at that in that contract. That's all right. Yeah, and, and it's not like you said it's not overly long either. Like it's just now he already played one year of that big deal, so it's just this coming season and then the next one. So I mean, even as an expiring, you could probably like in the the next coming season after this one, you could probably convince a team like, hey, this guy can really shoot. He's a good on ball defender. Uh, I mean, like he's not necessarily gonna go out and be able to make plays for others or kind of like be much more than a, just a spot up shooter or like one, two dribbles, pull up shooter. But that, that kind of player has value to teams that are good, especially if they're not going to like hamstring or salary cap for more than a year. Yeah. Or like next year at the trade deadline, when some teams looking to add shooting and they're just, they feel like they're one piece away and they'll, you know, they can give you somebody and then, you know, some draft picks or whatever that, I mean, the Rozier thing could actually turn out pretty nicely. Yeah, exactly. Like MP, like Cody Zeller too. A few years ago, people were like, Oh, that contract's terrible. But I think this trade deadline, he could definitely get you like a late first round pick or early second or two seconds, maybe, or just like a young player that, you know, doesn't play a lot on a competitive team. Cause he'd be good for a playoff team too. Just kind of as a mm -hmm. glue guy, big man. All right. So if you have to get rid of one, is it Caleb or Cody Martin? And how many times have you been asked this question? Honestly, I haven't been asked this before because Hornets fans love the Martin twins like a lot because they, they both play with so much energy and, and it's just cool having twins on the same team that, you know, 10 and 11. The only, I think the only way you can tell them apart on the court would be their tattoos, but you can't really tell that anyway. That's what TV. was so tragic about splitting up the Morris twins a, a few years exactly. ago. Like they didn't even know what to do for like <laughs> – half a year they were like but my brother <laughs> yeah yeah like they lived together at kansas they probably lived together in the same apartment building or something yeah. when they were drafted but yeah, hey, yeah i mean I, I i think if i had to choose i would pick cody long term just because i think if he straightens out his jump shots to be even like league average i he, i think he was like sub 30 percent this year but obviously i'm not high volume either because he wasn't playing a ton of minutes till the end of the year but if he can at least be a league average shooter, his like his energy on defense and his off ball like team to team defense just helping and rotating like all over the floor, covering basically any perimeter position. And if he gets a little stronger, he could probably guard fours like in a pinch too. But I, he's he's probably going to be in the league for a long time, I think, just as like one of those guys that can hit an open jump shot and like score in transition, like dunk a ball, dunk a off an off ball cut or something like that. And that you're never going to have to worry about him on defense doing really anything wrong. So Cody was the one who was drafted and Caleb was not? Yeah, Cody got picked 34th. 30, yeah, 34th. Yeah. And then Caleb was an undrafted free agent. And he spent most of the year with the Greensboro Swarm, even though he doesn't have a two way contract technically. But I don't I think he played like, gee, like 20 games or something in Charlotte. I don't know the exact number, but it was right there. That's weird for identical twins, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it must have been the other. Bit. What's going on there? And now yeah, he's, now he's yeah. averaging more points than his brother. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, they should average the same. Yeah, same percentage. Yeah, I think going into the draft, Caleb was supposed to be drafted too. Uh, Cody yeah. was supposed to be the one that was uh, like waited till the end of the draft too. The, the Morris brothers, they were. I mean, they were both first rounders, right? 
I think. I think both in the lottery. Yeah. Like very, very close, close to each other. Yeah. And it seemed like Markeith was going to be the better player for a while. And then Marcus kind of took over. Although Mar- Markeith now has a championship and Marcus doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's, it might have worked out better long term for Markeith. Yeah. Even if, Mar- even if Marcus is probably the better player right now. Um, so how do you feel? How do you feel about Malik Monk? Because that's an interesting one. I was when the Knicks were looking to draft a point guard, and it was basically Frank, Dennis Smith Jr., or Malik Monk. I mean, if you could do it all over again, you would take Donovan Mitchell, but I don't think anybody was saying that at the time. Even people who were high on yeah. Donovan Mitchell were maybe putting him as like the 10th best prospect. But right now, I would take Frank over any of them um, because I love him so much. Uh, but how, how do you feel about Malik Monk? Well, I definitely I understand your love your love yeah. for Frank Nielkina because I I think there we go. I was wondering who that Knicks jersey yeah. was too, but I think he's much better than advertised, especially by some Knicks fans on the internet. But I think Malik is kind of the same situation, but because he like they both have haven't had the, the really the best opportunity yet in their career, like yeah. to exemplify what they do. Especially Frank, honestly. Yeah, Frank, I mean, like, he got dicked around by coaches for, like, the past two years, and I really hope this year he's, like, he gets a consistent 25 minutes a game or something. Um, but Malik Monk, did he was he kind of riding the bench at certain times or not getting the playing time he deserved as well? It's not. Yeah, I wouldn't say that he was presented the playing time, but if he made mistakes, especially in his rookie year with Steve Clifford as the head coach when they were trying much harder to be a playoff team than they are now, he got yanked immediately. Like, and it, as a young player, he was like really young coming out of Kentucky and he was just a, like a gunner from long range and he didn't chew well when he came into the league. So I'm sure that that not only rattled his confidence a little bit, but it was hard, not just hard to develop other aspects of your game while the, what is supposed to be the marquee point in your game isn't working at all. And uh, like I, he now, uh, now more so, he has a lot more chances under James Borrego, especially as a third-year player, even though he was suspended uh, like right before the season ended. But I, he definitely sh- like struggled to adjust early on. And when he made mistakes under Steve Clifford especially, he was just pulled right away. But it's, it's turning around for him a little bit. I still have a lot of faith in Malik. And uh, Miles Bridges, similar feelings? I, yeah, I think Miles is really good as well. My, if he all he has to do is clean up like off ball awareness on defense because he's all, he's so strong. Like he looks, he's built like a professional wrestler. Like his arms are massive. Uh, he's he's six six. He has a long wingspan. And he's just so powerful as like a wing forward hybrid. Like he's definitely going to be the guy. Like theoretically, if everything works out well, he's going to be the guy that like checks you know, Giannis or Jason Tatum, I guess, I guess in the East or, you know, switches on to Trey young at the end of the game, theoretically, when these teams are all battling in the playoffs with their young players being 25, 26. But I, he, like, I, I think, and, and as well, he has to, you know, shoot a little bit better, but he's still a pretty good spot up shooter as is. I, I think that the Hornets have a lot of, or a couple of like really nice pieces. They just have to find the number one scoring option and then surround it with like depth and talent. Yeah, do you see Bridges as more of a four going forward, or is a three kind of his spot? I think he's probably more comfortable as a four. I mean, maybe not personally him more comfortable. I feel like I think teams would be more comfortable using right. him as a four. But 
that does create a little bit of a positional overlap with PJ Washington because like, I, I don't like to rank the two of them because I, I like both of them a lot, but P, I would definitely say PJ is like the starter long-term out of the two of them. Like I, th- I think he'll probably be like a, like Paul Millsap type, like not necessarily the same style of play, but like that level of like fringe all-star for at least a, a sizable stretch of his career. So I'd like uh, him being more comfortable as a four might have to push him to the bench, I guess, if they, the Hornets can find a, a, a player to play the three position that would be better than miles. But I don't think that that would be a bad thing necessarily because he would be so good just like as a, like a secondary scoring, like spot ups, lobs, off ball cutting, and then just dominating on whoever is the best bench player for the other team on defense. So uh, returning to the draft question a little bit, because a few weeks ago there was like rumors that they would trade up to number one just to guarantee getting Wiseman because they were possibly competing with Golden State, who also would want Wiseman at number two. Is there? Do you have any concern that they might still do that, or do you think Cupjack kind of put that to rest? I mean, I, I like, I like. It's always there, like in the back of your head, because like, because the, the rumors out there. So like, there's always at least a slight chance that it was true. But I do think that he knows, like, if they're making me part with Miles Bridges, Malik Monk, or even like Cody Martin or Jalen McDaniels, I like it's just not worth it because they they just need to add pieces to the puzzle. And even no matter what that piece is in this draft, it's probably not worth giving away others just to get that one. Like I, sometimes addition by subtraction would work in a way like giving up two or a player to get another one. But I don't think that that you'd rather just keep the two at this point, if you're the Hornets and just get whatever you get at three. Yeah. Especially in this draft, it's just like nobody stands out as a can't miss prospect. So you have to be really sure if you're going to trade up in that way. I mean, similar with the Knicks, there was some rumors about them trying to trade up for LaMelo Ball. And I, I there are certain trades where I would do it if the price was low enough, but I, I can't imagine they feel comfortable enough with with him being a top pick. And then news came out that he didn't, they, he didn't even do a workout for the Knicks. I think the Hornets were one of the teams that watched him work out. So if you... It would be absolutely insane to trade up for someone you didn't even see work out. But sometimes the Knicks do insane things. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, I've actually, I've thought of this a couple times. If LaMelo Ball is available at three and like, and the Knicks offer like Mitchell Robinson an eight for three, how right. would that like upset you for, or theoretically for LaMelo Ball? But if they, if they're like, Hey, we'll give you eight and Robinson to jump up to three. Would you be like comfortable with that, or would that kind of you be iffy? Because Mitch is really good. I like I like him a lot. Yeah, he's so fun to watch too. Yeah, you I mean, can just anything you throw by the rim, he's gonna find a way to get into his hands and dunk it. I that that's the that's kind of the trade that's always been floating around. Eight and Mitch to get Lamelo Ball. I guess in a pinch, I would do it based on what I'm hearing. Um, but I I would love. I, it's it's more the eight pick. I don't know. That's so weird to say. It's the eight pick that I don't want to part with, even though in this draft, I mean, like, yeah. who cares? But like, I'm starting to like believe in like Isaac Okoro and uh, whoever is available there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, would would 
if you had if Lamelo was available at three, would you consider like Mitch and the the two Dallas picks, or would you need the eight pick to be there? <sighs> that's a t- see, like that's what year da- is are the Dallas picks it's, next uh, year? Twenty one and, and twenty three, and the twenty three is okay. I think top ten protected. Okay, be terrible picks. Yeah, I think Dallas I yeah on the upswing, man. Those picks are going to be like high twenties. I don't know. What? Yeah, like, especially next year, like that, like in a deep draft, like I don't like. Even though it's good, a good pick, like I think you're looking for another top five ish pick out of giving up the third pick as well. If you're looking towards the future for future picks, yeah, I mean it's very unlikely that the Dallas pick lands in the lottery, but right. the, the West is strong. Uh, Phoenix might get Chris Paul. And then, True. and then Dallas could finish seventh and lose the play-in tournament game. <laughs> this, this is all no the way. stuff I've been telling myself when no I try way. to fall asleep at night. Lucas, Lucas <laughs> playoffs for fifteen years in a row. Yeah, but I mean, poor Zingas is probably going to be injured. Probably, but I don't think they. I don't think they need him. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think poor Zingas. I'm kind of out on him, but that's yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 won the poor Zingas trade. Yeah, we got Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, <laughs> and those two Dallas picks that are going to end up in the lottery. Actually, oh. do you, would, I think actually Charlotte's a team sometimes connected to Dennis Smith Jr. Um, probably because he loves Bojangles. Uh, is there any yeah, interest in him or Julius Randle? Well, I remember, I think around the drafts, or not around the drafts, like kind of like right at not right after they signed Terry Rozier, but basically as soon as he was trade eligible, there were rumblings that it would be him and Malik for Randall and Dennis Smith and like Frank or a pick or, you know, any combination of other, a third young asset, I guess, because I guess the Knicks would be receiving more assets than giving away in a Rozier and Monk trade for Randall and Dennis Smith. But I don't, I mean, I don't think that that's anything that's possible anymore. Yeah, I, I, at least I don't. I think that probably died out pretty quickly. But I mean, there there are just so, there's so many like trade trade options for Charlotte that that can come up just with the like the co- tradable contracts they have in Rozier and Zeller, and then all the young players that they could and pick, future picks that they could potentially flip too. Like there's just so many options coming up. And Mitch Kupchak has said a lot that he's just he's going to be fully examining like trade market for anything that he can find in the upcoming off seasons. So do you, how do you feel about Kupchak? Like, because he's never really done it, you know, outside of the marquee world, right? I feel like as a Charlotte GM, you've got to be like, a, I don't know, you, you've you got to be really good because you don't have just yeah. the automatic free agent draw and stuff, right? Do you, do you feel like he's the guy? You're right. Like, that's a good point because you got you to dig for talent in, mm-hmm. you know, the late first, second round because you're not signing guys you're going to have to overpay a guy like role players to come there because you're not, you know, you can't be like, Oh, you live in South beach, Miami. And you know, LeBron plays here with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch. Like you're not going to get a guy to come here for a million dollars to live in Charlotte, North Carolina and play with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. You yeah. know, even though I love them very much, the, the two of them, but I grew up in Chapel like, Hill, North Carolina, and nobody in North Carolina wants to go to Charlotte. There's just no yeah. reason to go to Charlotte. Is it basically exactly. just a downtown with office buildings? Yeah, it's like uh, there. It's a lot of uh, like banking headquarters uh-huh. down. Like, like I think uh, Wells Fargo and Bank of America both yeah. have their headquarters in the it's downtown. An up and coming city. Though. It is like, growing. It, yeah, it's a booming business city. 
Yeah, but it's like it's like you want to go live in Omaha, Nebraska, or Jacksonville, <laughs> Florida, or uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Like, who's? <laughs> it's not a draw for anybody. What about Chapel yeah, Hill, it, though? Is is Chapel Hill a destination besides going to college there? No, only to go to college there. That's the Asheville. Only, Asheville's yeah. where people want to go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Asheville is where people want to go. Wilmington, Durham is uh, kind of an up and coming, I guess. I don't know, whatever. It's North Carolina. Who we? It's one of the fastest growing. No matter where you are. It's a growing Sunbelt city. People are moving there. After this question, I do have some North Carolina centric questions for you, but let's let's keep talking about Mitch Kupchak for a little bit. So, yeah, so you're you're thinking Kupchak is the guy? Yeah, I, I like him a lot so far. I mean, he found Devontae Graham at 34, Cody Martin at 34, which everyone thought was a reach. But, I mean, if you're going to get a guy that sticks in the league for at least, like, six years, I mean, that's pretty good use of a second-round pick. Uh, Jalen McDaniels at 52. I mean, even he looks like he could be a solid rotation player in the upcoming years. And P.J. Washington, a, a solid pick in the, I think, what, like 12 in the lottery. Yeah. I mean, at three this year, like if he hits that pick, like then I, I have like full confidence in him going forward mm-hmm. to, you know, at least, you know, surround the people or the players that he has with the right free agents, because that has been the struggle for Charlotte, at least in their most modern iteration was, you know, giving out huge contracts to Marvin Williams, MKG, Cody Zeller and Nick Batum. And even though at the time, the Nick Batum contract, like no one thought that that was a bad deal because he was right. really good. Mm-hmm. in Portland for a really long time. So I mean, they had Kemba already and they, it was like, they assumed that that team was going to be a playoff to like mainstay for a few years, but he just dropped off of a cliff, unfortunately. But I mean, MKG's deal was like that, that can kind of hurt them. And then Marvin Williams, they like, they both bought, they bought the two of them out at the before, after the trade deadline this year and didn't get anything in return for them, which is, you know, that's not what you want out of a guy that you're going to have to pay, but. I don't think that that's going to be as much of a struggle going forward necessarily because I think Mitch Kupchak is much more selective with that type of thing. Yeah, I feel like some of those deals get done as like agent favors or whatever, like because you're bidding like the MKG deal. Like, who are you bidding against in some of those cases? Yeah, so I feel like it's like, hey, we'll do this and then you'll send more of your guys to Charlotte and I don't know. Yeah, and he, I think that you picked him second as well. I think that was kind of a big uh, yeah. motivation. And he got hurt a few times like with, with his shoulder, and it's always like, man, if this guy can sh- can learn how to shoot, then he's going to be really, really good. But unfortunately, he just never really learned how to shoot. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> uh, first, first North Carolina-centric question, how good is Cole Anthony? Ooh, good question. How good is he going to be ah. in the NBA? He's all he's all right in, in uh, at UNC, but uh, I mean, I think of I think of you know players' sons like you know like Buddy Beheim, Austin River, <laughs> Buddy Beheim, and Steph Curry. You know, company like that. Yeah, <laughs> all all very successful. Three very similar players. Yeah. yeah. Um. How yeah? How good? What's uh? What's the ceiling for um Cole Anthony? Well, uh, in my latest uh, like update for my big board on atthehive.com, which any of you can uh, go look up if you're listening to this, feel free. I have him at a number nine. So I think personally he can be pretty good. I, it's just going to take him, you know, like he's a good defender now, but he's going to like have to 
you know, focus on that end more so than he did in high school or at North Carolina, especially North Carolina being like literally the only guy that could put the ball in the hoop on a consistent basis last year. So, yeah, I mean, but if yeah. he can be a team defender, yeah, they, they were not good last year no, at all, were. especially when he was hurt. It was, it was not good to watch, but if he can just be like a, a passable, like perimeter team defender, cause he's a pretty good rim protector. And like in transition for a guard, like he can step in front of guys that are like a little bigger than him and, and contest on a layup, like a lot more better than you would expect. And if he can go back to being also being more of like an ex, uh, explosive athlete and like quicker guy that because he that's what he looked like in high school, I guess. But that kind of toned itself down in North Carolina, which you could attribute to his injuries as well. But. I don't know if, if that was the entire story, I guess, but we'll just have to see in the NBA. But I think his, he's a really good shooter, and he sees the floor better than people give him credit for, so I think he's going to be in the NBA for a while. Nice. Um, so I grew up idolizing the Charlotte Hornets. My dog's name was Moxie. Um, <laughs> how do we get the word out about how cool Terry Rozier is? And – how great starter coats can be contemporarily so that Charlotte starts to get the respect that it used to have. Well, the starter, the starter jacket thing is a great point because if you ask a person to envision a starter jacket, it is the purple and teal and white Hornets starter jacket. No and doubt. if you think otherwise, you're incorrect. You're so wrong. It's, it's really, you're it's just, just the wrong. only way. It's just one option. It's and it's the Hornets. <laughs> so that 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 needs to be uh, like I think that they sell them in the arena. I've only been to two games, so I don't remember. But I think they have them there, or at least a variation of them, because it's like they're a sponsor by Jordan, obviously. So they have a lot of that stuff there too. But I mean, it's Terry. Terry. I don't think it's coincidence. He was the, like one of the first players that got signed to Puma when they started their new basketball shoe line. Scary Terry. Great nickname. He had that playoff run with the Celtics, which, yeah. you know, is that didn't necessarily end in Boston that well, but you know, it's because he wanted to be the guy and that's yeah. cool to By be the, the way, guy. Puma <laughs> is making all the right moves right now to sign a yes. retired basketball player. Like Jalen Rose is like, that's, that's a, to me, that's a genius marketing move. Cause that, yes. dude, that dude is the coolest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can market to people that like, don't, play basketball like organized like you could be like these are shoes that you know Jalen Rose would do use to go play pickup with his friends like in LA and you can use them where you go play pickup too with your friends yeah it's 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 it is a really good marketing play they, they have they've added a lot of interesting players to that from where I sit if you're if you're wearing Pumas to play basketball you're gonna get your ankle broken <laughs> so uh, do they have basketball shoes now can I get a quality pair of of shoes to get a good run in Oh yeah, like they they have a I think probably four or five different models. Like a ter- Terry's one of the main uh, like marketers for their they they have a like a high top and a low top version of like the same shoe. I think it's called like the Puma Clyde Court or something like that. And it, it looks like a really nice basketball shoe. Like like a lot of players around the league wear it. Like I have Marcus Smart, uh, Rudy Gay, uh, Marvin Bagley. Uh, Lamelo Ball is going to be a Puma guy when he gets into the league too. Like there, there are a lot of guys that are you know buying into that their new uh, basketball shoe thing. They look very comfortable as well. Those Clydes are those uh, Clyde Frasers? Yeah, they look like yeah, they look like those old ones, but like you know just more like uh, like modern, updated for new kinds of basketball te- technology and all that. All right, so 
basketball technology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like legs and hands. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so what has to happen? What what has? To, it sounds like they're they're maybe Charlotte's not doing this, but the moves are everything's falling into place for uh, the Charlotte Hornets to be idolized by children again. What has to happen here? Probably being good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That's what I'm like saying. Like if they the lines of like the younger generation that never saw him play because they loved, they loved the documentary. So. Right. So, so, and then I, I also have to ask about Jordan. But if, if in the next couple of years they make it to the second, God forbid, the third round of the playoffs, are we going to see that again? Because the Charlotte Hornets, even though they're from Charlotte, that's a cool ass team with the cool ass legacy. It is, and North Carolina is a, an underrated basketball state, more so for college, I guess, but there's still a lot of people that like basketball in North Carolina. So uh, if they advance that far, and I mean, their brand, like the new uniforms they released yesterday and the new court they put out today are unbelievably cool. Like they're, they're like nice, like mint green and like graphite and gold. They look so nice. So just keep nailing the marketing things with like the, the nice jerseys and courts and all that kind of stuff and cool social media promotions with the players that they do now. And then, you know, just win games. And really, I think that's all it'll take to put them back in, in the forefront. Cause like that, that logo is like objectively cool. And it's like, it's like a, the San Jose sharks in hockey. Like when they're, they're mm -hmm. good. Like I feel like their, their stuff is like more popular to see out in public. I mean, I bought a San Jose Sharks shirt like a few years ago just because they were good because they have a cool logo, and I've never really watched the full hockey game in my life. So <laughs> it definitely works. People yeah. people want it. Give the people exactly. what they want. Um, I like these, one, uh, what, these mint green, that mint green court. I'm looking at a picture right now. They're unbelievable. I saw the, I saw the jersey. so nice. Yeah. That's their, like, city jersey or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the Knicks did – every team does one, and the Knicks was – it was fucking terrible this year. It's just like a, <laughs> it's just like a circle that says like NYC. It's, it's well, well, one might argue that in North, the state of North Carolina, the only thing that's going on is basketball. So what I, I would like to know how you feel about Michael Jordan as an owner. And if you have heard or have any yourself, any Jordan stories that, you know, we might not know about. Well, I think the him as an owner is like a difficult, uh, like, to, like answer, I guess, because off the court, he obviously is, it's very hard for him to do bad things as an owner in terms of like, like the image of the team and stuff like that. Cause like he donated, I think like, well, like hundreds of millions of dollars to di many different like organizations. Like he donated all that money to black lives matter under Jordan, which, you know, like not, like associated with the Hornets, but everyone knows he's the owner of the Hornets. So that's essentially like the Hornets are donating a lot of money in a way, but, and then he, I think with in partnership with the Hornets and uh, like Novant health, they donated a ton of money to local hospitals in Charlotte too. Mm -hmm. So he does all of that stuff. Like, like very well, like he is great for the city of Charlotte, but he's also so a far, prodigal son. Yeah, exactly. Like he is, he is the, the best person to ever come out of North Carolina in any facet of, of, of anything, but like, and he, no apologies. Yeah. Uh, very, company a very excluded. close second. Very close. 
But if on the court is where it gets a little difficult with with especially with the results that have the Hornets have had since he took over because with the first regime under Rich Cho and his staff, he definitely wanted the team to just make the playoffs with Kemba Walker. And, you know, there were a couple, especially earlier on in Kemba's career, they should have just continued adding young pieces through the draft around him mm-hmm. and they, which they tried to do it theoretically, but they didn't necessarily hit on all of them, which, you know, and losing the number one pick and not getting Anthony Davis is something that is not talked about enough because if the Hornets or the Bobcats at the time, they were the worst basketball team ever that year. Right. And if they had just gotten the number one pick, can you imagine Kemba Walker and Anthony Davis in the Eastern conference for however many, like at least eight years until they get, to leave off their rookie contract like that they would have they would be completely different history like they, they might lost, they might they have a championship every year in the conference finals at least like that's the thing like they like they might have won a championship if they had surrounded them with like two or three good players but so just that was just unlucky and that is a main thing that that like kind of set them back a lot too and like not even because it's not even mkg's fault because mike he's still in the league you know what 10 years later nine years later so it's not like he was bad he just wasn't what you want out of a number two pick when the first one is anthony davis and it should have been yours anyway but i mean they also did make some picks that you know didn't help them necessarily but recently mj has seemed to you know kind of defer more to mitch kupchak and their decision makers and scouting and stuff like that because it used to be the oh the hornets are just going to draft a successful all-american college player that was you know a junior or senior and he's like frank kaminsky or something like that and then he's just gonna you know not be that not be that great in the nba he's gonna shoot a lot but not necessarily have it go in the hoop <laughs> but and then you know but that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem anymore i mean even though i guess they've selected two accomplished college players in the lottery back to back but i don't think that he's uh you know He's taking his time with, with this one. He's allowing them to rebuild slowly, not force it by signing a overpaying a free agent to come to North Carolina when the team isn't good enough quite yet to just be able to sell people on your talent. Yeah, Can you every... imagine, though, if they had gotten Anthony Davis, then LeBron wouldn't have had to come up with some reason to go there. He'd be like, right. yeah. Um, I've always wanted to live in North Carolina. <laughs> it has nothing to do with these, you know. I, I was going to go to Duke if I went to college, so exactly. it'd be nice to go back to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Steph. Yeah, they, I mean, they all—they got Gordon Hayward too, and the Utah matched uh, the offer sheet. So, I mean, that was another guy they were trying to pair with uh, Kemba that didn't work out. Oh, was that uh, his first round of free agency? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When he was like uh, like coming off his rookie contract and was a restricted free agent, they signed him to an offer sheet. Utah matched it. I think they might be able to get him now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they could they could figure out an offer. Yeah, Danny Ainge might not be uh, too, too opposed to that Charlotte opening up that discussion. Oh man. Well, speaking of players they could get, and my team's in this mix as well. Lots of rumors right now about uh, where Russell Westbrook might go or the fact that he wants out. And two of the teams mentioned are the Knicks and the Hornets. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you heard uh, regarding that? Like how truthful it is and and what have you kind of heard as far as what they'd be willing to give up? And can you stop it? Yeah. Is it within your power? 
as a blogger to stop. <laughs> no, I, 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 it, it, I actually would. think it's a good idea. Like that, that could like Russell Westbrook is a cool player. He makes it into the playoffs. He goes places in the playoffs. It could be a great fit. It's it would it could be, but it's like they just got her having no cap space for so many years and being like a milling playoff team, like barely on the fringes of being the eight seed. And like, I honestly think that's what they would be again if they had Russell Westbrook. Cause I think taking the ball out of Devontae Graham's hands is, is going to like clunk up the offense. Cause he is like a, like a super unrated playmaker. It's just offensive initiator, like pick and roll guy. Like he, I think he, I don't know where he finished at the end of the year, but there was a sizable portion of the season where he was leading the lead in 2010 assist games. Like he, he's a really good passer. And I like Russ is a good player, but not for a team that is really young and rebuilding and still is like trying to kind of find an identity. Like he could fit with like a lot of teams that like that are already pretty good necessarily. But I, don't, I mean, I don't know if they have the ammo to trade for him necessarily. Like Milwaukee, I guess would be pretty solid for him or maybe, I mean the Clippers too, but that would be a weird trade for them to execute. <laughs> to, reunite, but, I mean, the, to reunite Westbrook and Paul George. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be a very. No, they probably have to trade Paul George for him. Like they, exactly. Like, yeah, right. Like, because I, I don't think they're going to trade Kawhi, like, yeah, or no. you know, any of these other like good pieces. They'd have to trade their entire team to match that salary. Yeah. That, which is about like 132 million. Like, I like in any situation, I would be like, yes, Russell Westbrook, Charlotte Hornets, very, very good. But like, it's just so much money for. He's 32, like, and he's he relies on athleticism and pushing the pace. And, like, if he continuously gets hurt, like, you're going to be in a Washington Wizards John Wall situation where it's like, wow, this is, like, quite literally the worst contract in the NBA for a team that is really not good. And, like, when he comes back, what what are they – like, the Wizards, like, what are they going to do necessarily if they're good next year? Like, they don't have enough talent around him and Beal to surround – like, continuously make the playoffs after that. So I just don't want Charlotte to get stuck in a situation like that again because that's kind of basically why Kemba left. I, I I hope he goes to the Clippers and I hope they could work something out where they trade basically everybody besides Kawhi and Paul George where they give up like like Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, uh, Zubach, and whatever other contracts to make it work. Maybe a sign and trade with Montrez Harrell. Yeah, um, that, that might have to do Yeah. Because he's the only big money guy. Right, right. And I don't know, I, I think... I think that could work because like Kawhi, him and Kawhi would be the two playmakers. Uh, it's, you know, we've never seen Russ kind of play well with other superstars, except maybe, maybe for like two months last year with Harden. Yeah, that would be, that would be really interesting to watch him on the clip. Like if they could, especially if you could retain Paul George too, because yeah. that team would be monstrous on defense. If, if you can like obviously get Russ to engage because, there are times where it's not like he's a bad defender. He just doesn't yeah. necessarily choose to play defense all the time, which is understandable for a guy that's 32 and in the position that he is, I guess, in his career. Like, it's, yeah, defense isn't fun. Other guys can, you know, to make up for that sometimes. He but, also, even when he was younger, he would just gamble for steals. Yeah. And, yeah. like, give up, you know, back door, all this other stuff, just he was out of position. I, I would – Man, if if they do that, if I'm Ty Lue, I'm like, all right, Russ, you pay me a thousand dollars for every three pointer you miss, like or like <laughs> like ten thousand dollars. Like I'm just I'm instituting some sort of policy like that, and otherwise 
oh god it's just i cannot that guy cannot shoot threes he cannot be allowed to yeah because they they'd have the spot up guys too to make up for it to just let him just charge the rim like yeah. a bull in a china shop all day and him shooting threes like we learned last year that, that that's not going to lead you to very much <laughs> especially in the playoffs yeah have we have we talked about your predictions for next year to the whole i don't league? think so what what do you well first of all who's your uh, who do you have taking it all who do you have as the mvp and uh, who are what are some surprises that you're expecting <sighs> for next that's year an what expected surprises <laughs> yeah. do you have <laughs> yeah um i would say uh, I could do I can do the finals for the East. I think the Celtics are are going to be the best team in the East, I, I, especially if they can add a guy like Gallinari out of like uh, with the mid level exception. You know they have three first round picks that they could potentially use to trade up. Uh, the rumors are that the Knicks, you know, yeah. might might want to trade down with the Celtics, acquire 14, 26, and thirty in exchange for the eighth pick. Yeah, and I'd then the Celtics okay are getting a good guy, a good yeah. That would be a I think that'd be a great trade for the Knicks. Yeah. I would totally do that. Six spots is nothing to get like yeah. uh, like twenty six and thirty back to. Right, and I, I can see so? Boston wanting to do that for Okungwu because the, the center is kind of mm-hmm. the only position where they don't have like a young star. Exactly. Do you think they'll unload um, Gordon Hayward? Then you think they'll be able to get rid of him? Uh, I think they could. Tr- they could. I've, they I saw be some... really good. Then they should. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they should be really get good. rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. I think he's still a really good player in the right. You when used in the right context, like he he's basically a point guard now. With like where he could be if he was like the number two or three guy. As opposed to the, he's the fourth option on that team. Sometimes the fifth when Marcus Smart is feeling really confident, and like for what, for what he gives you out of the fifth or fourth or fifth option, like there is no other fourth or fifth option that is as good as he is in the NBA. Like okay. you just won't. It's just not possible. He he's granted he's very overpaid. They expected him to be a two a number two option at worst, but now you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Campbell Walker. And like, obviously the money is an issue, but like to a certain extent, like it's not our money. Like, I don't, I don't care that he's making $34 million. Only, only Wick Grusbeck is going to care that he's making $34 million. So like that is worth it. If, if Wick is willing to pay it, like totally worth it to get a guy that's going to be your fourth option and like can take over the offense if you need to can play really good defense. That's I was totally saying it all pandemic, and I, I feel like uh, a couple other analysts were saying it as well. I, I think they're a great bunch of individuals on the Celtics, but not gelling as a team because they're they're too good one through five. Yeah, like that. That's a good point, honestly, because that like they will need some aspect of uh, like like J- Jason Tatum has developed a lot as a playmaker, which I thought was like the problem. Like people talk about him you know, being like a top 10 player in the league now, I think the big part of that is because of how well that he sees the floor and hey, how and stuff like that. And he can grab a rebound and take the ball coast to coast and find anyone really at any angle now. Like he can kick out to the corner, he can find a trailer, he can obviously still finish it and stuff like that. But they, they do need, you know, Jalen Brown, I guess, to become more of a, a playmaker rather than a play finisher. And Hayward being healthy and like available for the whole season, I think would help with that a lot too, because he is probably the most team friendly player out of all the good play. Like he definitely is the most team friendly, like offensive player that they have out of any good player on their team, at least because he, I mean, he, he obviously is making $34 million and he's 
seems to be fine being the fourth option on the team with a 22 and 23 year old leading the way. So I mean, he's, it, like, he's, he's a, in a good spot with him, I think. Yeah, I, so, I'd be uh, in a good mood at that number. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we knew the Celtics were going to be this a few years ago. We knew they're going to be good for. They're going to still be good for probably at least five years going forward. Um, you you seeing Lakers Celtics in the finals? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I, bar, I mean, if the Clippers can acquire Russ without giving up Paul George. I think it's probably going to be Lakers-Celtics again. I think that Dallas could be, get pretty close next year. If they're, they're one guy away. Like if they – like Jeremy Grant, I think, would be perfect for them as they're starting for next support. Like they would have a, such a, a better front court defense with him kind of making up for Porzingis, not necessarily being – the most the best like switchable defender on the perimeter anymore and i mean he's a good rim protector but grant can switch one through four basically and if he would be right now? porter uh who it would on, be uh, probably hardaway uh, yeah it's gonna uh, tim hardaway i think would technically be the three because i think they start cleaver porzingis and then uh, J- uh jalen brunson as their point guard but i mean then like next year they, if they get one guy that can defend because they i mean they have they had the best offense in nba history last year so if they can become a top eight even eight like eight to ten defense i think they're going to be like they're it's just they're just gonna have so many games where they score 140 points that's going to be hard to keep up with Mm -hmm. surprise us with your uh, mvp prediction (sighs) you know i've wanted to say this for a long time i don't think it's going to be right nikola jokic He's going to win an MVP some point Whoa, in his career. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love He's, it. He, love he it. is going to do it. Like, if the Denver Nuggets are a top three team in the in the NBA, he ups his scoring, like, a slight bit. Like, that that dude is going to win either an MVP or a lot of all-NBA teams in his career. Like, he is so good. And he got so much better at defense in the last year especially between like when the league got shut down and the bubble. Cause he was so much more like mobile and just noticeably lighter on his feet. Like he, that, that guy, he's just, he's one of my favorite players to watch. Like I, that I've ever watched play basketball. He's, he's awesome. I love that prediction. You want to see it happen. Don't you as a basketball oh, fan? So like, bad. This guy, this guy, <laughs> he plays like me. Yeah. He, he plays <laughs> Xbox and drinks Mountain Dew after the game and then passes like seven foot magic Johnson and can hit step back threes. Like it's, unbelievable to watch him like i need i need him to win an award at some point in in his career like mvp or something like that yeah his one-legged uh jump shots if he can get consistent as kareem did with his sky hook it you just i mean what are you gonna do there's no there's no stopping it and there was no stopping it this year in the playoffs too you're right like rudy gobert is a really really good defender on the interior and there were times where Jokic would just like he would spin in all sorts of different directions and, and his footwork. And he just throws up a soft, like feathery touch. Like it's, it's so good. It's so fun to watch it. He is like an artist when he plays basketball. Well, how much does Jamal Murray take away from his potential MVP selection? Uh, Jamal Murray is yeah. like so good. Like, I think he does. Yeah. I think, I think that just means more wins. I think it means more wins. And I think that helps the case. Cause I think you just have to, the MVP comes down to other than that year Russ won with the weird triple double thing because people hadn't done that, and then like you know, and Harden scoring thirty eight or whatever for a while. But a lot of people like wins. People mm-hmm. like wins, and if he's if the if Denver is at war if they're top two, 
then he has a chance, I think, top two in the West. Then Because Anthony Davis is probably not going to get it because, you know, and then LeBron's probably not going to get it. Like, I think they can split the vote and then he can sneak in. I love it. I love that. Pick. Yeah, especially because now after their great run this past offseason, uh, this past playoffs, he's on everybody's radar. Denver's on mm-hmm. everybody's radar. So I could totally see that. And uh, and just real quickly, what's wrong with the Bucks? Kind <laughs> <laughs> of coach Coach Bud, for as good as he is, they like he's just not an adjustments guy. He's a this is my system. Let's let's do it. Like like obviously, like Mike D'Antoni is much more you know uh, willing to adapt to circumstances in the playoffs. But like when they missed twenty seven threes, it was kind of the same situation. Like go to the goddamn basket. You've missed. 18 threes in a row. Like you, this is game seven of the Western conference finals, like switch it up. How like it, Mike Budenholzer just is not there's seemingly is not willing to change like their, their approach. And like, I'm not some wizard X's and O's guy, so I'm not going to tell him what he should and shouldn't do. But like, like that is just, the, it seems to be evident like that that is kind of their problem. Like they, they don't have like, they don't necessarily have enough, shooting to surround Giannis I don't think either like they clearly made the wrong choice with Brogdon and Bledsoe like they should mm. should have kept Malcolm Brogdon and signed him and used him as their point guard even as good as Bledsoe is like at, at that price like Brogdon's probably worth it for how good of a shooter and playmaker he is to kind of give Giannis a break from being kind of like a full-time point forward that has to just charge at the rim and score all the time but I think that like if they get a coaching change and maybe like just another couple guys, I guess to could just be like shoot and play defense, you know, make make passes when Giannis is tired. I think that will that will help them a lot because I mean, there are a lot of good teams that just need like a coaching change, like the Rockets, for example. Like they clearly had hit their peak, I guess, with, with what they had, so they they moved on. Like the Sixers were the same way. Like they probably weren't going to get much further with Brett Brown than what they had already gotten to unless they made a trade, like a wild trade or something like that. But I think the Bucks might just be approaching that sort of situation and they probably should make that change sooner or later and ask it. Giannis what he thinks about it. Yeah. Do whatever you can to be honest. <laughs> I, right. I was really hoping that would be the Chris Paul destination, but it's looking like that's not going to happen. He would be like, I mentioned Russ there earlier. Chris Paul would be much better in Milwaukee than Russ would. And like, like, because he's basically like not not Malcolm Brogdon, but like he would be like the playmaker shooter, uh, like off the dribble scorer that needs to be next to Giannis in order to open him up and make it so defenses can't just be like, well, we know this guy's going to dunk on our face every single time, but if we make him at least shoot a lot and pass to other people, maybe they won't win. And that's basically how it works. And I mean, they they taking like Chris having Chris Paul at the head of your defense is never going to hurt you either because he's just like one of the smartest basketball players ever probably. Yeah. Uh, any other questions, guys? Um, what do you think about Clifford? Was that just the wrong situation? Or do you not? Do you think he's not a great coach? Uh, as, a, as a resident of Maine and a fellow, uh, Steve Clifford is also a Mainer. He coached at multiple high schools in Maine. He was actually my math teacher's roommate at UMaine Ooh. Farmington in college. So I will never, ever say anything bad about Steve Clifford in my lifetime. I think it was a little bit of a wrong situation because the Hornets obviously didn't have the team, like the team, like the talent and means to surround Kemba Walker with the talent that he needed at that time. And that's not something that the coach does. So like he, he just has to coach with what's in front of him. And he did a a pretty good job with that. Like he, he got them 
almost to the second round, like re- like one game away. Like that's pretty much all you can ask for out of a, a coach of the Charlotte Hornets, a team that was perennial, perennially like picking between like 10th and 15th between the years that he was there. Like I, he would be a really good uh, like big market team coach. I think if, if he gelled with their star players, perhaps like, cause he has a defensive system that is obviously good in that. Cause the magic have been one of the best defensive teams in the NBA since he, took over like and then they, and it's not like Nikola Vucevic is some like all-star defensive anchor as good as he is like there are a lot of centers that are better to throw in the middle than he is and Clifford still makes a lot of like a lot has, has them consistently at the top of the league so I think he'd be good for a team that's like uh like further along in the stage of uh, being a contender than the Hornets were at that or and Bobcats were at that time okay that's fair I yeah I always I always liked him I always thought he was good and I just thought it was a bad yeah. Fit at that moment. Yeah. Okay. And uh, last question from me: uh, Who did you grow up a fan of? And are you from North Carolina? Yeah. No, I'm. I lived in Maine, my whole like Southern Maine, my whole life. I live in oh, Portland where from? Right now. I'm Portland? from Wells. I, I live in Portland. I'm from Wells, though. Do you know the the area? I've never met anybody that actually knows. Yeah. No. Well, my my fiance. We can cut this out. <laughs> uh, I don't know. My, my fiance is from uh, Lewiston, and uh, no way. Okay. Yeah. I um, I I, start, I I did I toured stand up comedy in New England a lot. So I performed in like Portland and like New Hampshire and places. Okay. Like where did where did you perform in Portland? Was it Port City Music Hall? Comedy Connection. I don't know if it's oh, okay. Yeah, I think because like literally all of them got closed down except for the State Theater since the pandemic started. It kind oh, of yeah. sucked. Yeah. That, yeah, that's cool, though. I've never met anybody that has has a connection to Maine uh, through basketball yet. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, uh, not my, many. My, of my connection is definitely not through basketball. I used to go. My A lot of my family's from New England. We used to go to Vermont in the summertime and I couldn't find a person to ball with. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, it's it's not a not as big of a, a hoop state as uh, pretty much anywhere else in <laughs> no. America. <laughs> yeah. um, so, what did you grow up as? A, by the way, uh, Larry, do you cut anything out of this? Or you just uh, nope, nope. <laughs> I just I just, <laughs> I just pressed uh, upload, and then we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we're alive. Oh great, yeah. So, what like how did you being from Maine? How did you become a fan of or get interested in basketball? Because as we talked about, there is nobody that has picked up a basketball in the state. Yeah, I mean, like, I genuinely don't know how I first got into it. I just remember being, well, I honestly think it was because when I was young, just playing video games. Like, basketball was my favorite video game to play, like NBA Live and all that. So I started watching it when I was old enough to, you know, like comprehend I can turn on the TV and watch live sports and stuff like that. And like, and I think as that went on, I never really had a favorite team, but when I was younger, I, I just liked LeBron. So I liked the Cavs. And then when he left, I was like, well, I feel like a front runner going to the heat. So I guess I'll just be like a Kyrie Irving fan now and not really like a specific team, I guess. And then I, I've, I like the, I, I like the Celtics. Like I like watching them because especially recently when I was a little younger, I didn't really care for it as much, I guess, because I liked LeBron and they were the team that LeBron had to play all the time. But now, I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are two of my favorite players in the league too. So I like them. I mean, I've, I've really got, I've gone all over the place with like the teams that I grew up liking. The first NBA jersey I owned was a Chris Paul New Orleans Hornets jersey. So, I mean, at the time I probably would have been mad at my future self for buying that like probably what could have must have been like three years after they left Charlotte or something. But I mean, yeah, I've, I've been all over the place. 
You ever go to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in uh, Springfield? Yeah, because I have a ton of family that lives in Springfield on my mom's side. So I've been to Springfield like a million times in my, my life. My, my father grew up down down the road in uh, Connecticut, in uh, Suffield and Enfield, Connecticut. My, okay, my, uh, my family lives in Southwick and Agawam, like right, like right across the border from Connecticut. That, that, that's weird. We got family. Larry, that Larry we have right to right cut this out. No. This is so <laughs> No way. This is not good at all. Look, I, I have things to do. I don't have time to edit. I don't know how to use what. There's the fast forward for anybody that, that needs it. That, yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. Just skip ahead 30 seconds. Well, if, yeah. if, 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 if I'm going to say one more super inside basketball thing, and that is I am the proud owner of a personalized autograph from Celtics great ML Carr. So there we, there we there go. We that is a, that's a deep cut right there. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, that I'm going to yeah. edit out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Chase, want to tell us, tell the listeners where they can find you. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Chase Whitney underscore. You can find anything that I write at, at thehive.com. I recently started writing for SB Nation's Mid-Major Badness as well. I'm going to have some stuff coming out probably focusing on uh, America East uh, Mid-Major Basketball. As a graduate of the University of Maine, I have a specific interest in that. So, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, anywhere on t- Twitter, at the Hive Mid-Major Madness, that's about, that's about it. I don't, I don't live in very many different places. All right, and college basketball starting in like two weeks. Uh, I, of course, am at Larry the Athlete. Wherever you listen to social media, listen to social media at Larry the Athlete. You can also subscribe to the podcast, Larry Knows Sports, wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a good night, folks. Yeah.